If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning, starting Luke chapter 9. Um, you'll see the questions are up on the screen, and this number two is a little bit longer, so you can paraphrase so that you can understand it. Um, but I, I encourage you to take notes of those questions, write them down. It keeps, I think, keeps a good track in your mind on where we are and where we're going and how to respond at the end to, together. It is a wonderful way for, for us to interact uh, with the sermon, excuse me, each and every week. All right, so we are getting into chapter 9 this morning, and chapter 9, like most of what we've seen in, in Luke, are really long chapters, and so this is another really long chapter of Luke, so we'll be there for uh, uh, just for, for a couple weeks, two months or so, who knows. Um, and so we'll, we'll be there. So just to let you know, that's where we're going to be. Camp out in Luke chapter 9. Uh, spend time reading it during the week. Spend time reading it before and praying over as the Lord would, would lead um, and such as you would be preparing yourself and preparing your heart for each and every Sunday. Um, I have spoken to people, uh, to, uh, people here in our church who come here and attend and members and things, and those who do that, uh, I think, see a valuable benefit of the Holy Spirit and leading them because they're preparing themselves uh, to hear, hear the Word of God. So I encourage you to do the same and, um, and, and be, be blessed by that and don't miss out on such a, um, such a blessing. So if you look at Luke chapter 9, you're going to see, especially if you have the ESV, that's going to have some big, bold uh, subtitle there, uh, Jesus sends out the 12 uh, apostles. And, and just like what we, we, we heard in several other sermons in our lifetime, uh, is that this is what Jesus does. This is the, the template that God has established in building his church and, and spreading his name, spreading his glory, and calling his people, bringing his people to, uh, close and, and near. And so, to let the, the cat out of the bag early again... This is a sermon on evangelism. Yes. So, if you are like me, and I've been like this certainly before, when I've heard a sermon on evangelism, or if I've heard a sermon on, or even, you know, sometimes even tithing, or sometimes on prayer, that it is easy in my mind, in my heart, to kind of just check out. And the reason why I check out is because I, 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 I kind of don't want to hear what's being said because I know they're right and I'm wrong. Because right? we all know, if we ask the question to each and every, do you, do you pray? You probably say, yeah, I pray. Do you wish you prayed more? What would you probably say? Yeah, of course. We're all going to agree there. So, so the, the goal of this sermon, being in this vein of evangelism and sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and being sent out by Christ himself, the aim of it is not to make us feel guilty. The aim of it is not to heap shame upon you as if my shame that I can produce in you or, or heap onto you or the guilt that I can heap onto you is going to produce real lasting fruit. Right? We've, we've talked about this and several things, and this is just another one. So, so let us this morning, as, as we prepare to hear the word, let us just take a brief moment. In your, if you have to, you can even close your eyes right now and just ask the Lord. Just ask the Lord to give you the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear his word this morning. To hear the gospel, to hear the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us through his word 
and through His Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Take a moment. All right, so Jesus is going to send his disciples out. Um, we see that in our, in our passage this morning. Um, the way that I want to uh, open up this, this sermon, um, as we look at the gospel message, we look at the power and the authority of, of, of the gospel, I, I want to kind of take a moment to address some of the, the, the things that we have seen um, in our culture over this last uh, over this last week, uh, actually probably two weeks, and it's really disheartening. Um, and if you can uh, watch the news in any any way, and, and if you can somehow make it through um, all the, the the political things that have hijacked um, these really important uh, issues in our in our culture, um, if you see on the news, you're seeing students, you're seeing. You're seeing parents, you're seeing teachers, you're seeing protesters, you're seeing things like that. And you're hearing words from, from people that are really broken. You're hearing people who are confused. You're hearing from people who are, um, in, in many ways, unable to really discern what's happening. And, and what we've, we understand is that we, we know that we live in a very broken, fallen world. Sometimes we can, be, we can forget that, can't we? Because sometimes things are just good. You know, we make it home. <laughs> we eat good dinner. We're about to eat good food later. And we forget that we live in this broken, broken world. And it's, and it's not until things like this that reminds our culture that things are really messed up. There's something really wrong with not only culture, but there's something really wrong with with, with us. And so you hear things on TV, you see these people on TV put before us, like I said, asking questions that they, they can't answer. And, and really even asking the wrong questions. Not able to get to the, the depths of what we know from, uh, from the Scripture. Now what we know in this broken culture and this broken world and, and what we can see and discern and, and, and what's wrong is, is this, is that our culture is broken in, in such a way and I think so deceived in such a way because of sin and what we want to believe is there's this notion, there's this idea out there called postmodernism, right? And postmodernism is nothing new, right? They want to pretend that this is some kind of new philosophy, but it's not. It is, it's, a, it's an old thought, it's an old idea, and what the postmodernism modern thought teaches us is that there's no such thing as right or wrong. Now tell me how stupid that sounds. Uh, raise your child like that. <laughs> Actually, you can see that, can't you? Raise your child in, in this idea where there's no such thing as right or wrong. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's right. Your truth is your truth. My truth is, is my truth. And, and don't impinge your truth upon my truth. You're good. You can believe that. But don't bother me. Now, I don't know. Like I said, this postmodern thought is nothing new. This is something that is, that is as old as time itself. 
I just got done reading through the book of Judges. And guess what the book of Judges said almost every chapter? Israel did what was right in their own eyes. What's right for me is right for me. And that idea of postmodern thought even has this notion of not just good and bad, but also there's no such thing as evil itself. I've heard, I've heard it even said, people actually, people actually believe this. Smart people, smart people actually say this. There's no such thing as evil. And what was, what was done during the Holocaust was not evil. Hitler and his boys were only doing what was right in their own eyes. It was right for them. Who am I to judge? Now you tell me how ridiculous that sounds. So if we live in a culture that can't call evil, evil, and sin, sin, and right, right, and wrong, wrong, and truth is truth, where does that leave us but a bunch of people on TV asking the wrong questions and people delivering them the wrong answers? Making them believe that they're right because of how they feel. I don't know about you, but that's, that's the real evil. That's the real evil, the deception behind it all. Um, we see evidences of this, the absence of personal responsibility. Everybody's a victim. Um, even, the, even the alleged criminal is somehow put as a victim. There's something what happened to, to them. And so it's when events like this happen, we saw this week the shooting at the school and other times, is when this postmodern mindset is, is just really exposed. Because our culture, they believe these things. There's no right, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no such thing as, as, as evil. And it's like a crash dummy car hitting a wall to them. All of a sudden, it's like their whole world collapses, and they become baffled on the why and the how and and, and, and how, uh, uh, how can we be so wrong, or, or how can they be so wrong, or, or I don't understand. So it's like this, they hit this brick wall every time something like this happens. There's nothing new under the sun here. You know, Romans chapter 1 teaches us that mankind has suppressed the truth, denying the reality of sin, Denying the reality of evil is not just for some people that believe, but that is the human flesh. That is the human heart. We suppress the truth. We suppress any idea of even sin. I do this in my own life. Even as a Christian, I can suppress the truth of sin in my own life. And I don't treat it as, as foul as it really is before the Lord. Even I do this. They're suppressing the truth. They're suppressing the reality of this. And then that sets us up. It sets us up in the sense that we know the gospel message. We know that this world is broken. We know that this world is fallen. We know that this world is in need of the great truth. The truth that we know from God that there can be reconciliation between us and, and God and God and, and, and man and man to man and therefore God is making all things new with His kingdom. We know that there's going to be a restoration of all things. 
We know God is doing this. Even though we see such atrocities, we can still look forward to the future hope that these things will be wiped away. That's the message that we bring to a fallen, broken culture. A fallen, broken world. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That gives me hope. Now back to our text. We'll read it in just a we'll read it in just a uh, minute. So up to this point that we know before Jesus sends his guys out, Jesus is this one man band, right? He's this he's this one man band. He's kind of been doing everything himself. He's been doing all the teaching. He's been doing all the healing, except for what we've seen in, in um, earlier in Luke, which John the Baptist taught. And, and proclaimed uh, a gospel to repent. Um, he was doing the, the full load of, of, of teaching. He was doing the, the full load of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, performing all the signs of the kingdom's arrival, um, but not anymore. He is going to send his guys out. So let's look at our text now. Let's look at our text. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse, in verse 1. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he called together, he called the twelve together, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money. And, and, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed. I like that word, by the way. Perplexed. He was confused. But it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, uh, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. That's where we're going we're gonna to stop. We're going to stop this morning. Amen. May the Lord, may the Lord bless us as we study His, His Word this morning. So he calls, he calls all of His guys together. He brings them to, together and I'm sure there are numerous occasions that he has called them together. He's brought them uh, together before, calling them 
in, in their, little, their little group so that they can now do something that they haven't done before. And I can, I can imagine that when, they, when, they, when Jesus called them together and, and told them these things, that this is what you're going to do, I can imagine that Jesus' reaction, or the, the disciples' reactions were, you want us to do what? Like, I was totally cool that you were doing it yourself. I'm totally down with that, and now you want me? I'm, I'm a fisherman. They don't listen to fishermen. I'm, I'm a tax collector. I mean, you imagine what Levi thought? Like, oh, gee, I'm going to follow these other guys, right? Just kind of help them out. Can you imagine the, the, the thought of being, being called and to do this as, as the position and place that they thought that they, um, that they, thought they were? And Jesus, that one-man band, is now becoming this, this mini-orchestra. Of sending, of sending them out. Jesus has gone from uh, sort of this, this all-time QB to, to now of a, a quarterback to a high-powered offense. And this should be amazing to us. This should be so encouraging by this because I want you to be encouraged by this because what we have seen in the Gospel of Luke so far, and even if you go back and look at the other Gospels, is that there is absolutely nothing that should make us think that these guys are 100% ready to do this. Like there's, there's, there's nothing that really should, besides they've been following Jesus and they've been called, but, but to actually say that they're qualified, 100% ready to go. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is the difference maker here? What, why would Jesus do that? It almost seems like this is a, a sink or swim kind of situation. I just want to see what they can do. But the difference maker... It's not the disciples, not their talents, not their abilities, not who they are or what they want to be, not their abilities to, to relate to the other men or to the other Jews or whoever it is that they are going to go into the other towns. The difference maker is Jesus. The difference maker is that they have been with Jesus. The difference is, is that Jesus called them. You focus in on that word that Jesus called them. And in that call, he has given them the power for this mission. Now, this particular mission that we see here is a short-term mission trip. This is, this is kind of setting out the template or the pattern of what it is to be called by Christ, empowered by Christ, taught the message of Christ to be sent out. And we see this rhythm in the Gospels. And we see this rhythm throughout, throughout the church. So, so from this passage, I want to show you two things. Number one is I want to show you that the ability to speak, that our courage, our, 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 it, those things are not found in us, but they are found from the Lord himself. They are found in the, the Lord himself and that's the first main point that we have for us is that we have been given the same power we have been given the same power 
that Jesus has given his disciples even right here. And number two, we have been given the same message. We have been given the the same message. So let's look at our our empower. How have we been given power? Let's look back at verse 1 together. It says, And he called the twelve together, right? Let's not, let's not discount the idea of being, of being called. This is a very important part, the called. That they've, they have been called. So earlier in Luke chapter 5, we saw how Jesus went to Peter, James, and John as they were fishing. He went out into their boat and, and caused them to bring, uh, bring a, a massive catch into their boat that was sinking their boat. And Peter bowed before Jesus and said, I am unworthy for you to even be in my boat and be around me. And Jesus said, Peter, I am going to make you a fisher of men. Here's, that's his call. Later on in Luke chapter 6, we see where Jesus calls his disciples, his disciples that would be the twelve, the twelve that we see here in chapter 9. And, and those, those twelve, before he called them, he spent the whole night in prayer. Y'all remember that? He spent the, the whole night in prayer asking the Lord. These are those twelve. These guys knew they were called. They knew who called them. Brothers and sisters, we have been called. We have been called. We have been set apart. We have been purchased, redeemed. We know we have been, we know that we have been called. So Jesus calls the twelve together. They, they know this. And he gave them two things. He gave them power, dunamis, and he gave them authority, exousia, authority. And, and this power he gave it to them, he gave it to be over all the demons and to cure diseases. Now this is interesting. He gave them this, this dunamis and this exousia, the, the power and authority to cast out demons and to cure diseases. Now what should be ringing through our minds is all the things that we just covered at the end of chapter 8. What did Jesus just do? Jesus exerted his power and his authority, his divine authority and power over what? Over death, over life, over disease, over evil. And he gives them this this new power, this this new authority over the demons and to to cure diseases. And, And I can imagine receiving this power and receiving this authority. I mean, imagine that. Receiving this kind of power and this kind of this kind of authority, it's almost like a, a, a child when they when they realize that they can turn on a TV with the remote control for the first time, or, or like when my kids finally learn how to unlock their mom's phone. They don't they don't touch mine, by the way. They know better. Imagine that that power, right? You that that power. All of a sudden, this seems like the world is at their fingertips, right? You remember the day? You remember when you when the day you passed your your driver's license test? Remember that day? Remember that power you felt when you got into the car your first time, and you or truck, or you started the car up and said, "Yeah." For me, it was like all 110 horsepower. I'm going to the beach. That's what I did. 
felt like you're in control. You had the power and the authority over this vehicle in your, uh, in your uh, destiny. And, and all of that, right, even in those little glimpses of times that we feel like we have power in, and all of that, that is so trivial and so elementary compared to the rush that the apostles must have had that day. The rush that they must, have, they must have had that day to receive such power and such authority. Not because it was their power, but because it was Jesus' power. And he tells them to go cast out demons and cure diseases. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? He does so for the, same, the very same reason that Jesus himself was doing that. He tells them to do that because it's the very exact same thing that that Jesus was doing. They were to be signs. They were signs. They were road markers to the preaching, to the teaching, to the message, to the gospel of the kingdom of God. They were signs. This is you're gonna you're gonna heal, you're gonna cure, and they're all signs pointing to the message. What about us? Do we have that same power and authority? Well, let's look to the Scripture. First, we, we know, we understand, we're not apostles in the big A kind of sense. Capital letter, apostles. Right? They, they performed signs and they had a, a, a purpose of, of the signs that they had to show the kingdom has come. And, and, and so it's very different in its timing for us. But we, as we talked about when we were in Luke chapter 6, that we, though, are still sent out as little a apostles. We don't claim the title apostles, and you shouldn't. That can get confusing. But look at John 14, 12. If you want to flip over there, you can. John 14, 12, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, which is like a double emphasis of this is true, listen up. This is for real. This is going to happen. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay. That's pretty awesome. What's the next line? And greater works, these he will do because I'm going to the Father. So greater greater works that, that we will do. Not just the apostles, but also for us in the, in the church. Greater works. So does that mean that our greater works are going to be coming in the, the, the healings and the miracles and the casting out of, of demons? No. The, the greater works are not the miracles and the healings and the casting out demons, but rather the, the greater works are the work that the gospel does. The greater work is what the message produces, what the Holy Spirit produces. We would be, we would miss quite a bit if we believe that a greater miracle has occurred if someone is healed from cancer than someone going from death to life in Christ. We cannot buy into that. 
the greater work, the greatest work of all is not casting out demons or doing miracles. The greatest work of all is sharing the gospel and having the Holy Spirit produce life at once which was dead. That's a greater work. That's the, the greater work that Jesus is saying that we, we will do. That's the greater work that we, uh, that we do. And so in that greater work, we must what? We have this power, we have this authority to trust in the work of the Holy Spirit. The power and authority that has been given to us is the Holy Spirit. We've been singing about it this morning. We saw the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. We have been given the Holy Spirit. The power and authority by Jesus himself. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus is the same Spirit that leads us and guides us. Look at verse 3. Jesus gives them some instruction here. We'll come back to verse 2 in a minute. But look at verse 3, and he says to them, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony uh, against them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go on a trip, like I'm going on a mission trip, I'm going to pack a few things. Right? I'm going to take some money. I may not take a staff because they probably won't let you through an airport with that. Um, but I'll bring a backpack. I'll definitely bring more than one tunic, shirt, right? Or people won't even listen to me. It'll stink. But what is Jesus telling them? He says, take nothing, guys. Pack more than light. Pack nothing. Why would Jesus tell them that? Why would Jesus say, bring nothing, guys? Is it because he wants them to suffer? Because he wants them to be without? Or is it because Jesus is teaching them a lesson that he asked them earlier, where is your faith? Where is your faith? If God will give you the power and authority to proclaim this message and to do these signs and wonders, don't you think God will give you a shirt? That God will care for your needs and your food? That God will, would, would care for everything that you need? A staff? Later on in Luke 22, at the Passover meal, um, Jesus, uh, in, in a sense, commissions and sends out his disciples again, knowing what's about to happen. He's about to be arrested and, and soon they will be sent out once again as we started reading in, in, in Acts. And Jesus asks his disciples. In fact, actually that time he tells them to bring stuff, by the way. He says, now you're going to need stuff. Um, you're going to need shirts and you're going to need, if you don't have a sword, buy one, kind of stuff like that. Um, but he asks a question to the disciples in the very beginning of that. Uh, I think it's verse 38. I may be wrong, but Luke 22, something like that, verse 38. And, and he asks them a question. He says, so guys, when I sent you out before... So Luke chapter 9, where we're at tonight, or today. He said, when I sent you out before, did you lack anything? I mean, did you have everything you needed? 
I mean, was there anything that you can say you came to this situation and you could have given a, a starving guy bread and you didn't have any bread because I didn't give you any bread? Were you lacking anything? And the disciples said, nothing, Lord. We had it all. We had everything we needed. We had our shoes. We had our place to stay. We had our staffs. We had everything we, we needed. Trust. We believe that, that what God has given to us in His Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God has given us everything we need, not only in pertaining for godliness, this is a good scripture text there, but also in our work of sharing the gospel. That's a question to answer. And he tells them, he tells them after that, he says, he says, don't, don't go from room the room. Don't, don't hotel hop. Don't look for something better. Trust me. And he digs even deeper, though, with, the, I think, the sovereignty of God and trusting in the role of the work of the Holy Spirit and where God is using you in the ministry, wherever you may be, guys. He said, trust in me, because he says this. He says, if you go to a place and they reject you, so it's not a win, it's an if, shake the dust from your feet and leave. And that was a a symbol, right? It was a, it was a symbol of, uh, of, of, of basically a spiritual warning to them. That, that when Jews, they would normally, when they would go from town to town, if they went through a Gentile town, before they left the Gentile town, they would actually clean themselves up as if, like, I'm leaving every bit of that filth behind me. And it was to serve as a warning. You're unclean, I'm not. And that's what Jesus is telling his, his boys here. He says, when you get to the edge of that town, and if they reject you, you warn them of the spiritual consequences of rejecting the gospel. That it was a serve as a warning. And in a sense, it's, that's a grace, isn't it? But it was for them to say, I can trust God. That I can trust God that in this work, that even though I share the gospel and I'm pleading for these people to repent, to trust in Christ, in this lost and fallen world, we're doing that, we're pleading, we're, we're, we're praying, we're asking in nothing but rejection, but rejection after rejection, we can trust that God is working. And I think that it's even okay that we give this kind of stern warnings to people. That we can trust God. We can trust Him for everything. We can trust Him to, and we can have faith in the power of the Word of God through the Holy Spirit as being the very foundation, the very energy, the very power that we proclaim, that we proclaim His message. Our, our evangelism must rely on the Holy Spirit and to discern when the Spirit is working and when the Spirit may not be working. And sometimes it is okay for us to shake the dust from our feet and move on. We can trust the Holy Spirit. We can trust in the Holy Spirit. I mean, I feel like I can't say that enough. We can trust in the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was empowering Christ Himself is the same Spirit that is indwelling in you this morning, if you are in Christ. It's indwelling you this morning. What fear then? What fear then could we have? 
What fear of, of man then could manipulate us where we would cower and not share the gospel with someone who we know needs it and needs to hear? So that is, the, that is the, the power and the empowerment that we have been given to us by Jesus Himself, the Holy Spirit, that, that gives us the authority then to proclaim something. Right? So, so they have this power to, to, uh, over the demons and diseases, but it's also this power to do something else. Look at verse 2. So back to verse 2. It says, And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal. So here is the underneath, the behind the reason. Here's why you're going to do those signs. It's because you are going to proclaim the kingdom of God. To proclaim the kingdom of God. You look at verse, um, at verse 6. See what else, uh, you see what happens as well, what else they do. Verse 6 is they departed, which means they, they were obedient they did what Jesus told them to do. They, they departed and they went through the villages and they were preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus tells them to proclaim the kingdom of God and they go out preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now two questions that I have here, that I had at least when I came up to this. I said, Was there some, is there a difference? Did, did they go out and do something that Jesus told them not to do? All right, Jesus said, go, go proclaim the kingdom. And the disciples went out and they preached. <laughs> not proclaimed, they preached the gospel. Well, first of all, proclaim and preach are the same. Herald, declare, scream, whatever you want to say. Right? Let it be known. But is the gospel in the kingdom... Are those two different things? Are those, did, they, did they get ahead of themselves? Because if, if I'm not mistaken, what we know as the, as, the, as the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if Jesus hasn't done that yet, then what did these guys say? What were they teaching? The answer to that question is simple. The gospel message and the kingdom of God are inseparably linked. They're virtually the same thing. When we proclaim the gospel, we are proclaiming the kingdom. And when we proclaim the kingdom, we're proclaiming the gospel. That's how it was, how it was done. So the message that they preached was not too far from the very message that we preached. And I'm going to show you why. It wasn't too far off from the message that we preached they preach the good news of the Son of God, which is there before them at that point, and we preach the same thing, that Jesus has come. God has sent His Son. The kingdom of God is at hand. We proclaim the same thing. Now, the kingdom of God is one of the, the greatest themes that is flowing throughout Luke. In fact, we've already seen this. We, we've seen how Jesus went about proclaiming the kingdom of God. This is, this is something that flows throughout Luke, and, and we're going to see it, and we're going to encounter it uh, a, a couple more times. Um, it was the message of the disciples, and it's also uh, our message. In, um, 
and Graham Goldsworthy's very good book, and I brought it this morning to show it to you all. Graham Goldsworthy's very good book, Gospel and Kingdom. He gives us a really succinct definition of what the kingdom of God is. And this is what he says. He says, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. So, God's people in God's place under God's rule. And it's a very great definition because it's something that helps us understand not only what God was doing in in the Gospels and what God is doing in the church, but also helps us understand what God has always been doing in the Old Testament. It, It pulls the string forward that God is doing a work of bringing about His people in His place under His rule. And this is what God is doing. So when we think about this phrase, the kingdom of God, this wonderful, powerful message that God himself has given us the Holy Spirit to proclaim, it's not just found in the New Testament, but it's even in the Old Testament. And I really like that, because think about that, what that means to the Jews that they were proclaiming to. They knew about these things. And did you know, actually, in the Old Testament, it never uses the phrase kingdom of God, but they knew this idea. They, they knew this idea of the kingdom of God. They knew that God is building a, a, a kingdom and they were God's people. They had an understanding at least. Right? It was also, they, they understood that it was, that in Eden, in the garden of, of, of Eden was, was where God's people were, Adam and Eve. In the garden was, was God's place. In the, in the garden is where God ruled Right? God's ruled because he gave his word, his word, his commands to them. Don't eat of that tree. Go name all the animals. Be fruitful and multiply. Right? And God's, God ruled over them. So there's God's kingdom even in that little place there. We see the kingdom of, of God in Israel. God's people under Abraham. Right? And then, then, then we see God's people under uh, uh, Israel, under Moses. We see God's people under the kings, right? Under, under the authority of the, of the kings. We see God's place as they were in Canaan. And then we see God's place as they were in the promised land. And then when they were in Jerusalem and the temple, we see God's rule in, his, in the covenant that he gave them. So you can see, I mean, just over and over and over, we can see God's kingdom has always been coming about and being, being shaped and being fashioned and being, being shown. Even in the prophecies, even when we see in the, in the prophets, who was God's people in the prophets? The faithful, the faithful remnant. Who was, who, what, was, what was God's place in the, in the prophecies? Well, it was going to be the restored land. The restored land back to the people. What about God's, uh, uh, God's rule? God's rule in the prophecies was his coming new covenant. His coming new covenant which is going to be written on our hearts. Well, what's the new covenant? The new covenant is the gospel. Do you see how, it's, how the, the string is just kind of being pulled through here? What they taught is the same things that, that, that we teach. This new covenant is the gospel. And the gospel is essentially a declaration to whoever, whoever we're telling this good news, it's a declaration of what God has done for us in Christ. It is what God has done for us in, in Christ. We, we don't want to miss that. 
We, we don't want to miss that. We want to see how Jesus is the fulfillment then of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So, so going back to our little definition that we had, those little three things, in the, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, who is God's people? And I know we're tempted to say the church, but God's people is Christ. God's people is, is Christ because Christ was faithful. Christ was the only one faithful. Now, we are his body. Certainly, we are his body. We are his bride. But Christ is God's people. So as his body, where do we look? We look to him. And what about God's place? God's place is Christ. It's Christ because he is the new temple. He is the the new temple. He is the, the new Jerusalem. He is. The kingdom in God's rule, the new covenant, Christ, the new wine. Remember, we talked about that. The new wine has come, and it's far greater than the, than the old. Jesus himself is the kingdom of God. They proclaimed, they preached a gospel of the kingdom of God. They proclaimed Jesus They proclaimed Jesus. That is simply the message that they they taught, that they they went out with under the power of of the Holy Spirit. This is the message by which they proclaimed. I like that. Isn't that just kind of simplify things for us? That if you just go out and tell people about who Jesus is, you trust in the, the, the power and authority of the work of the Holy Spirit, and you trust in the work of God that He will accomplish His work no matter what. No matter what. It's, it's going to happen. And we can trust in God in that, yet, yet God has chosen. I don't know why. Yet God has chosen. And, and I don't know why. Like, uh, to me, it would have almost seemed a little bit better, and probably the disciples were thinking it, well, why, Jesus, why don't you just continue to do it, and we'll just continue to follow a little bit longer. I mean, it would make it a lot easier for the rest of us, wouldn't it? But God has chosen to do that, to do something even something amazing, to bring you in. To, to bring you in, to, to experience, to be a part of the greatest work. There's nothing greater that we can do than to proclaim the gospel to our world. A, a gospel that restores us. That it's, it's not just the forgiveness of sins and going to heaven. Those are extremely important points. But the gospel message of the kingdom of God is that God not only restores us now with him and with his people, but God is ultimately going to restore all things. That's infinite hope. That's a hope that endures. That's a hope that lasts. That's a, that's a hope that grieving people who can't answer questions and ask the right questions or answer them, they need to hear. And God has chosen to use you and me to proclaim and, yes, preach. And I even say that to you, ladies to preach the message of the gospel to those whom God has ordained for you to.
They're in your life. They're around you. The gospel restores us to God. It restores us with fellow man. And he will restore all things in this world. The church could use a dose of this medicine. In a world that's very divided right now, very angry, very, there's so much hatred and division uh, among us um, on stupid things. I mean, I know they're important in some levels, but um, the things that we, we, we let divide us. And yet this is the message that we've been given, a message of reconciliation, a message that we must preach and proclaim, the gospel of the kingdom, that they might be brought into this supernatural reconciliation. We are Christ's body. We are Christ's body. We are going to celebrate that this morning. Let us testify. Let us testify of our Savior. This is the message that we, that we proclaim. This is the good news of the gospel that we get to proclaim is Christ. The good news of the gospel is we get God. You, you get him. You get God. You get Christ, and we proclaim that. I mean, we, we try to make it, we've tried to make it so convoluted with all of our little stupid programs and stupid. I'm so harsh. You guys got to, I, I pray that you guys hear me with a filter sometimes. I, and, I, and I pray that for my children too. Um, the, 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 these things that we've done that make it so complicated. And if you don't go to Bass Pro, Sh- Pro Shop and buy $1,000 worth of fishing gear, you can't go to the lake and go fishing. How'd that work out for you yesterday, Ben? You got to go fishing. Think about that. We, we've kind of made it so that we can't do that, that you, then you need to find a professional to do that. No. God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit. God is giving you his word. And if you feel like you're still lacking in those areas, can, can I recommend you the red and the black book? It simply asks two questions. What is the gospel and who is Jesus? Can I simply just say, go grab those and read and delight in Christ and then share that with those whom the Lord has given you to share with? And real quickly, as we close, we we see a reaction, don't we? We see a reaction in verses uh, 7 and 9. Now, albeit we know what kind of reaction we're going to get from Herod, Herod who arrested John and has had John beheaded, it's casually kind of thrown into the passage there. But yet we see Herod, what? What's, what's that word that I said that I liked? Perplexed. Confused. He couldn't figure it out. Every, and, 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 and that's what our world is still trying to figure out. Who is this? Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Didn't we just deal with that question? I mean, the apostles just asked that question. And now Herod's asking that question. Our world, there are people who are wanting to hear Christ. Yes, albeit, there are people like Herod who have a carnal curiosity, who are just kind of looking into the idea of who Jesus is because they just want to get something out of him. I get that. Or, or there's some kind of fear that they may have of Jesus. We, we get that. But this is what our quest, the question that our world is asking is, who is this? 
And, and by the way, you don't have to just look at those books. Look at Luke. Luke is asking or answering these questions. He already asked, answered it for us once. Is who is this? Jesus is the one who has all divine authority. He is the Son of God. He has the power and authority over life, death, and diseases, and all of evil. And this question, again, sets us up for the next thing. And the next one, Jesus is going to ask the disciples, who do they say that I am? Peter's going to say what? You are the Christ, the Son of God. Luke is going to show us again and again, especially even next week, that this is the Christ. That's what we proclaim. That's what we teach. That's how we answer this question. This is why we are sent out. This is why we go. This is why we do. This is why we love our neighbors. This is how we love our coworkers. This is how we love our families. Remember what I said earlier, that the disciples were just a, a, a bunch of unskilled, ragtag dudes. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know what was going on. They, they, all they did is just been following Jesus for a while. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they proclaimed the message. And Peter that day in Acts chapter 2 knew that. Because when the Holy Spirit came upon him, what did he do? He preached in a way that was unheard of, especially by a fisherman. That, that helps me out being the son of a sprinkler man. How about you? So if, if our message, if our theology and our message, if it only terminates on us, if what we love and proclaim about the gospel only terminates in this, in this room when we're around other, other Christians, then guess what? We've totally missed the complete point of the gospel. Because the gospel is not just for us to stay in our own little enclave, but it's to be sent out and it's to be proclaimed. And every generation has to recover this and and do this or we are just one generation from loss and losing it all. Just one generation. This message is too good. The The Holy Spirit is too good for us to quench him in this way. He's too good. Our Savior is too worthy for us to continue to remain uh, silent. And if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then God has sovereignly put each and every one of us in a place to build relationships and to make Christ known. And as the Holy Spirit told Paul as he was wanting to go to Macedonia and he sent him to Corinth instead, he said, I still have people here that are mine. There are people in this town that are his of his elect that God will call and he will use us to proclaim his message. Sin, destruction, death, and evil, brothers and sisters, is not the end. And I pray that the Lord will use this church in this broken world and I pray that he would use you and I pray that he would use me and I pray that we would be moved and empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that your Holy Spirit opened the eyes of our hearts that were once dead and breathed life into us. Removing the heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And so, God, we plead that that heart of flesh will begin to beat beat with a desire 
to proclaim this gospel to others. That it is the, the message that will bring those who are dead to life. Oh God, use your people. Use your church. Help us to be encouraged by this word, to be exhorted by your word this morning. And we pray all of this for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.